Heavenly Father, so thankful that we can worship you today and be gathered together with other people that are like us, people who believe in your word and who believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and who trust in your Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, we know that all over the world there are millions upon millions of people who gather on a weekly basis just for this reason, that there is a a vast community all over the globe of believers. We're so thankful that we get to be a part of that. Lord, we want to pray for other churches in our community that you would be blessing them and bringing success. Uh, This week, we want to pray for uh, Rima Covenant Church, Lord, and for Pastor Daniel there. Uh, I've not had a a lot of chance to interact with Daniel. They don't know him that well, Lord, but I would pray uh, that you'd be blessing the church that he pastors. I would pray that you would allow the people of that church to just love your word and that when he preaches your word, uh, that it would encourage and edify the people of that church, that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would comprehend more and more just how much it is you love them, that you would fill them so full of your word, uh, that your word would come out in their life, that they would begin to minister to those around them in the church, in their own homes, in the world, that the gospel would continue to increase through them. Lord, we're also thankful for the missionaries we support, uh, so blessed by the, the, the nearly nearly two decades, I think, of ministry that Anna Davis has been doing. Uh, Lord, so wonderful that we can support her as she's currently in the Middle East serving, but uh, just her amazing ministry of teaching missionaries to do what we do, to just work verse by verse through your word. Lord, I can't imagine the, the global impact that her, her uh, missions work has done. Lord, we would pray for her as she begins to uh, look for what the next steps are in her ministry, that uh, she would know where she's to go next and where she's supposed to teach next. And Father, I would pray that you would give her good insight and wisdom and continue to pray for her health. I look forward to, I think, August when she gets to come visit us again. Lord, we're also thankful for the ministries we have in our church, the the individual people who stand up to serve and the giftings that you've given them. I'm thankful for uh, our Mom's Life group, uh, just such a powerful way for um, um, mothers to spend some time together in fellowship and encourage and share some of the similar life experiences that they can grow from their time together, Lord. Uh, For some of them, it it might be the only time they get to talk to an adult all week. And so I would pray that you would... uh, and bless them with those conversations, that it would strengthen them and encourage them, that they could even have time to disciple and pray for one another. Lord, we pray also for our time in the Word today. You know, we have such a wonderful gift by your Word being given to us, uh, so powerful that uh, you allow your Holy Spirit to teach us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us some things about ourselves in the Word, that as we uh, see the things that you teach us today about spiritual gifts, Uh, Lord, that each one of us would ask these questions, that we would want to know how it is you've gifted us and how it is we're to use those in the church and in the world to build up your kingdom. So, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm excited to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this week. As you guys may or may not know, we've been working our way through the New Testament in five years by doing one chapter every week. And so what I ask of you guys is that you read through the chapter uh, each day that week, and then when you get together with us here on Sunday, we'll go through the chapter, and then hopefully after that, you'll be able to have conversations with other people so that you can help disciple them in the Word and encourage them to read through the Word and and, uh, find where it is that God is is reaching them through His Word. One of the great things about being chapter 12 is that we're done with chapter 11. That was difficult last week, and so I'm really excited, though, for chapter 12. Uh, This is a chapter that's ministered in my life personally, and so I'm glad to share that with you. Uh, Just let me give you just the general idea, though, of this chapter, Uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, but what he's saying to us as well today is that there are a variety of gifts given to believers by the Holy Spirit And all of those gifts were given for the purpose of the common good, to to build up one another, not just for us individually, but for us to share with other people. Um, And it really was powerful for me in my life and in my ministry. I remember uh, particularly early on in my ministry, even in my ministry here when I first started as a senior pastor here, uh, really kind of struggling with this idea, not of spiritual gifts as a whole, but struggling with the idea of, I wanted a specific gift. I really wanted to have the gift of tongues. For me, that was something that just seemed exciting. It seemed cool. It was super evident that God was doing something. And I used to pray and pray and pray that God would let me speak in tongues. And he never did let me speak in tongues. And uh, so there you go. That's, that's the, just the truth of the matter. But what happened for me, what became very powerful for me, was as I 
was desiring this, my habit is I study these things out to figure out everything I can about these things. So as I started studying out spiritual gifts, you run across chapter 12, and it explains to you that not everybody has the same gifting, and not everybody has every gifting, right? And so you're going to have some people that have different gifts, but each one of those is still important. And what it really helped me understand is the ways that God has gifted me as a believer, those are the ways that I need to walk and not be so worried about what everybody else's gift is. Now, you will hear as I talk through this that I'm speaking as if the gifts of the Spirit are real. And I think that's an important distinction to make, that throughout church history, there's been some disagreement by some believers. Uh, there's not always 100% agreement on everything, and in this case, this is one of them. Some believers believe that all the gifts that you see in the, in the New Testament or in the Scriptures, that those are available to the church today. Some people believe just some of those gifts, they would call them the, you know, the teaching gifts are still available, uh, but not so much the speaking, the supernatural gifts, the cool, kooky gifts, you know, they, don't, they wouldn't think that those are available today. Um, other people believe that all of those gifts went away when we received the gift of the written word, and once we had the Bible written down, we didn't need all those things anymore. So those are kind of the different categories. I truly, honestly believe that all of those folks, if they have Jesus Christ as Lord, they're still saved even if they disagree on spiritual gifts. I just happen to believe that the clearest way to understand the passages as they're presented would be that the gifts are for today, for all time, up until the time that Jesus brings us up into heaven. That's the way I view it, so I'm going to teach it with that in mind. So let's start out here in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Uh, you, you might recall the way this book is divided up. The first six chapters, Paul's dealing with problems in the church. The second section, though, from chapter 7 on, he's going to be answering specific questions that were given to him in a letter. We don't have the letter. We just have his answers to the questions. So we have to kind of guess from our reading of his answers, what the actual questions are. So it's biblical jeopardy, if you will. You've given the answer, now we have to find the question. That's the way that's going to work out for us. Uh, and in this, you'll see in this book, when he uses this phrase, now concerning, or sometimes just the word now, it's his way of moving on to the next subject. And so we're moving on to this new subject today that will be covered in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Spiritual Gifts. Uh, you'll see that in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he did that in 25 as well, 725 in chapter 8. You'll see it again in chapter 16, each one of these kind of introducing the new topic. So this is for us a new topic, even though it's in the context of one particular letter. It seems to me as I read in chapters 12, 13, and 14, that the issue that was being uh, dealt with in Corinth about spiritual gifts, not whether or not they exist or not, that wasn't the issue. The issue that they were having is that there were certain people within the church who were gifted in certain ways who were almost prideful about the gifting that they had and demeaning to others who weren't gifted like them. And it seems like, as you follow through this, it was specifically targeted at those who speak in tongues. Now, I'm not targeting any of this at those who speak in tongues. I've met people, I know people that have spoken in tongues or continue to speak in tongues. Uh, some people, you think they're speaking in tongues, they just, you know, speak Yiddish or something. But uh, there, there is this idea out there that this, there's, this, uh, there's this pride that was building up within the church there in Corinth, where essentially people were saying, I'm more spiritual than you because I do this, whatever that thing might be. And again, I think in here, particularly it was spiritual gifts, but I think it continues in our world today with different gifts. Uh, one distinction I would make here, uh, you'll see on my slide there that I have the word gifts in italics. That's the way it appears in my scripture and some other Bibles have it there. That's the translator's way of letting us know that the word gifts wasn't in the original language. The literal reading of this would be now concerning spiritual brethren. And so what they believe is he's saying now concerning spiritual things or gifts, brethren is who he's addressing it to. I actually think he's talking to those spiritual people in the church, those who think they're so spiritual. Those are the ones I think he's addressing in this. Uh, but either way that it plays out, it's the Greek word pneuma uh, that, that tells us it's uh, found its source in the breath of God, the spirit of God, the pneuma of God. Where we'll get 
uh, more into the idea of gifts is as we move down, he's going to use the word charisma or charismata, which is where we get our word charismatic today. And so we talk about the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. So that's the issue. I think there was some sort of struggle in the church. There were some who were in that church who were super prideful about who they were, how they were gifted by the Holy Spirit, and they were demeaning or looking down on people who didn't have the same giftings of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to lay this out for us now by just giving us just some, some handful of ways to think about spiritual gifts. The first thing he wants to tell us is here in verses 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pointing out here that these guys started out as pagans, they became Christians. It may have been confusing for them as they came into the Christian church that they might have seen some things that were familiar from the pagan churches and thought that there was some sort of crossover worship going on. Uh, so, for instance, in Rome during that time, in the Roman Empire, in the city of Corinth, they had lots of different gods, and it wasn't odd for somebody to worship multiple gods. He didn't want them to be confused when they were worshiping these other gods, and now they've just added the God of the Israelites to their collection of gods. That's not what's happened here. This is a whole new understanding that there is one God, and it's different with the one true God. So even though there might be some things that they might feel familiar with, there might be things that are being done in worship that are the same, and he wants it to be clear the way that they can distinguish whether the person who's acting supernatural or doing something that they viewed as supernatural is a true spiritually gifted person, is that person will always honor Jesus Christ as Lord. And to make it clear for us, Nobody who, has, uh, who doesn't have Jesus Christ as Lord will ever have a spiritual gift. It would be impossible for them to have a spiritual gift if Jesus Christ is not their Lord. So if they, they might do things, they might say they're a prophet, uh, they might speak in some strange languages from time to time, maybe elfin or Klingon or something like that, whatever it might be. They might have some things that would look like the things of God, but we believe that demonic influence has come into these false religions in an attempt to draw people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of imitation built within these false religions. And so he doesn't want them to be confused. That clear-cut line is, if it's a real spiritual gift, the gifted person will be indwelled by the Holy Spirit And that'll become evident because Jesus Christ will be their Lord. And if they say anybody else is Lord beside Jesus Christ, then they're not spiritually gifted because they're not the people of God. There's just a clear line that he's drawing there in the sand. So for us, though, that's the first thing that we can learn about spiritual gifts is they are for those people who are set aside as gods, those who would call Jesus Christ Lord. Verse 4 now. He's going to tell us a little bit more about spiritual gifts. He says, now, there are a varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministry and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all these things in all, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He wants the people of the church to know back in Corinth, but also here today, that there are a variety of spiritual gifts. There's just a lot of different spiritual gifts out there. And we'll go through some of those in a little bit as we work our way through the rest of this passage in two different places. He's going to name some of those spiritual gifts. But he wants us to know there's just a variety of gifts that are out there. But what's fascinating, even though there's a variety of the gifts, there's a oneness in them, that they all are intended to work together in unity. So there's differences, but there's still a unity within the church. He illustrates that, I think, in a couple of neat ways. Uh, So you see there in verse 4, he says, there's a varieties of gifts. In verse 5, he says a varieties of ministries. And in verse 6, varieties of effects. And if you look at those, those are three different specific words. The word for gifts there is that word charismata, where we hear about 
charismatic Christians, right? The second word there for ministries is the Greek word diakonos, where we get our ministry deacon, and the word there just means to serve. So you have this idea of the spiritual gifts, you have this idea of the serving, and then the word there for effects is the word that we often will sometimes translate as work, and in fact, at the end of that same verse, it says God who works all things in all persons. It's the same word. It's the same root word there. It's this idea of work. And so what he's saying in the church, yes, there's certain giftings, certain service, there's certain work that you do, and all of those things are going to be different. There's different types of work. There's different types of service. There's a variety within the church as a whole. But he does something neat in the language here. He says, but there's only one, and he goes through each one of those. It's the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Now, what I think he does there that is kind of neat by mentioning the same spirit, Lord, and God, he's directing that at the Trinity, which is one, unified, and yet three distinct persons, one God. And so what he's showing us is in the way that he's organized the church with varieties of gifts, but unity of purpose, he's showing us that that is a reflection of God himself, who has unity of purpose, one God, who eternally exists as three persons, a variety, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I think he's trying to draw a parallel to us so that we can see how that's intended to work. Yes, there are some differences. Jesus is not God the Father. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. But they are one God. He wants us to see that same pattern in the church. There are a variety of different gifts. There's a variety of different ministries or services. There's a variety of different works that can be done in the church. But they all have the same God over them. Do you see the unity within the variety there? That's the picture I think he wants us to get through this. But he says this in verse 7, that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He, he tells us that each one has had the Spirit of God revealed in them through this word manifestation. The word manifest means to, to make known or to see an outward evidence of something that is true. So what he's saying essentially, I think, is as you start to find what your spiritual gifts are, it actually reveals to you and others that you are a person who has the Spirit already in them. You're already indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We believe doctrinally that anybody who is saved has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. That's what the Scripture teaches, that the seal of our salvation is the Holy Spirit. Well, that becomes evident then through your spiritual gifting, that you have the Holy Spirit. It becomes evident. It becomes manifest. It becomes made known. This was actually powerful to me early on in my uh, ministry, my youth ministry. Uh, I was teaching uh, the youth group, and one of the kids asked me this question. She said, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? And I said, you're in junior high. That's a college and careers question. No. <laughs> I then had to like research this out. What is the biblical evidence that we have the Holy Spirit of God? And there's a couple of things in the scriptures that you can point to. One is the fruit of the Spirit. When you start to see bearing fruit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, it's the fruit, it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Another one here is when you start to recognize what your spiritual gifts are. If you, if you are gifted by the Holy Spirit in some way, then it's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, the others that you will see are, are centered around love. And these come from 1 John, but it's love of God's word and love of God's people. And as you love God's word, as you love his people, it reveals that you have his spirit in you. But those are important ways that we can kind of recognize that. So I was able to go back and give her an answer that there is evidence. And I don't know why she was asking about my life in particular. But in your face, little girl, I do have the Holy Spirit, right? No, I think she was really wanting to know for herself how she could understand for herself. But she was asking it in terms of how do you know that you have. So 
Uh, anyway, um, we, so we continue on here after you recognize that there's this outward manifestation of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Verses 8 through 11, he starts to list some of those gifts out. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Again, the idea is that there's a variety. And so he lists out here nine different gifts of the Spirit. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, uh, um, gifts of healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. He lists out these nine gifts as kind of a sampling to say that there are a number of different gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not, by the way, an all-inclusive list. This doesn't list out every single spiritual gift. To get that, you would have to spend a little bit more time. But as you go through the Scripture, what you'll find is there's several places in Scripture where it says, here's some spiritual gifts. And so each one of those lists a little bit different. They're in different orders. Uh, it's important for us to recognize that he's not giving us an all-inclusive list. And he's not putting any order to it at this point. It's just, here's some lists. Here's some names. And so if you want to do the work for yourself, you can do this. I'll give you some verses to check on for gifts of the Holy Spirit. I include in here a couple verses that other people don't. So I'll warn you of when those are. The first one, I'm warning you. Uh, I include Exodus chapter 31, verse 25. I think it lists out in there some gifts of the Spirit, some that you actually see in other places as well as one that you don't see in other places. Uh, so Exodus chapter 31, verse 25. The second place, everybody would agree to this one, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Uh, you'll also see one in 1 Corinthians 7 that some people would dispute. Uh, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, that he has the gift of singleness, and it's that word charismata in there again. And so it seems to me that was a spiritual gift given to him, that he had the gift of singleness. Some people, when they find out they have the gift of singleness, ask if there's an exchange counter. I don't believe there is. I think it's what you get is what you get. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. That's what we told our kids. 1 Corinthians 12, this piece we're looking here in verses 8 through 11, but we'll see another list in 1 Corinthians 12 at the end there in verse 27 through 31. You'll see another list there. Uh, and then I would add to that that you'll see some of these repeated in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. And then beyond that, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, you have four or five gifts there depending on how you interpret Pastor teacher as one gift or pastor teacher as two gifts. So there's your kind of list. But here's what I would say about those lists. I wouldn't even tell you that those lists would be all inclusive of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, I think each one of them is a sampling of the types of things God will do or can do for the individual believer. And I'm not going to tell him that those are the only gifts that he can give us. The Holy Spirit can gift us in whatever way he wants, at whatever time he wants, because they're his gifts to give. It's on the giver to give. And that's really the point that Paul wants us to understand here in verse 11. That's this, that he distributes to each one individually just as he wills. It's the same spirit that works all these things and distributes them individually just as he wills, which means each one of us has been given some number of gifts, one, two, three, who knows, gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they were distributed to us according to his will, not our will. So the Spirit of God gets to tell us in which way he wants to gift us to serve the common good of the church. Those varieties are important, but the idea is we don't get to choose them for ourselves. We don't just get to like go to this directory and like, hmm, what do I want today? I think I'm going to go with the gift of discernment today. We don't get to work it that way, right? We're not going to Macy's. We're receiving a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's brought to us at his will for his purposes. The Holy Spirit distributes as he wills. 
He's going to start now in verse 12. He's going to start to give us this illustration to help us understand that. He's going to use a picture of the body. So listen to this, verse 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. He's going to use the picture then to describe the church as being the body of Jesus Christ. And so you might have heard that before, body life, or in some way thinking about the church as the body of Christ. That comes from illustrations like this in Scripture. He says that the church is the body of Christ. But just like every other body, the body of Jesus Christ is made up of different members, different functions. There's fingers and there's toes and there's elbows and nose and all of these different things. And that accidentally rhymed and I don't know why. But um, you have all these different pieces of the body, but it's still, although different pieces, one body. Well, he wants us to see the church like that. All these different pieces come together to form one body, the body of Jesus Christ. And he's going to illustrate it further here then, uh, picking up in verse 15. What he wants us to understand about that, he says, If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable." Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So he's taking this illustration of the church being the body of Christ, and he's going to use that now to illustrate how the spiritual gifts are intended to work in unity of diversity. When they have these varieties of gifts, they're still working for the same purpose. So his illustration, he says, uh, a hand can't say, well, look, I'm just a hand. I'm not as cool as the foot. I guess I'm not really a part of the body because I'm not as cool as the foot. Right? Or then you have the eyeball saying, well, or the ear saying, well, because I'm not an eye, I guess I'm not part of the body. I can't even see. You see what he's trying to say? Let me say it this way. Maybe this will help. What if I were to replace the body parts with different spiritual gifts? Let me read it that way. For if the prophet says, because I don't speak in tongues, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the person who has the gift of service says, because I don't have the gift of teaching, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. Because if the whole body were prophets, where would the administration be? And if the whole body were teachers, where would the mercy be? But God placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
You see, it's foolishness for any part of the body to think that it doesn't need the other part, or for any part of the body to think, I'm just not important, I'm just a kidney. Nobody ever even sees me. Well, I need that kidney. Filter stuff out. Yeah, I'm just a pancreas. Does anybody care about me? Ask my son, type 1 diabetic. He cares about his pancreas. It doesn't work anymore. He's got an artificial one now. He cares about that hidden part of the body. The appendix, eh, maybe not so much. Nobody knows what that's for. But in general, the illustration is that these different parts of the body of Christ, even if they're not considered as cool, these different gifts of the Spirit, even if they're not as impressive as some others, they're still vital to the health of the body of the church. This is a real concern I think we should have as Christians. Uh, You know what happens? People like to be around people just like them, right? Well, so what will happen naturally within churches is you'll get this, uh, this idea within the body of Christ where people just kind of have this idea that, like, I want everybody to be like me. And so all the people who maybe have the gift of service, they all hang out together all the time. And eventually they just say, you know, all these other fools with all their fancy prophecy and stuff, they're really in the way. Let's just go start our own church. And we have the high and holy gift of the servants. And they have their own church, but there's only servants there. There's nobody to teach them. And then you see, and this is actually a thing that really happens. There are those who think all these people who don't speak in tongues are weird. And frankly, all those who don't speak in tongues look at those who speak in tongues and say, those guys are weird. And so they naturally just kind of form their own little churches. There's something lacking in that for those churches. There's something missing. They need the other parts to fully function and accomplish the will of God in this world. The church needs all of those parts and pieces working together to work in conjunction. It's actually sad. In fact, we need to be doing the opposite. We need to be saying, God, where we don't have gifts in our church, please bring those people here. Now, what will happen is somebody will come here and they'll have a different gifting than other people and they'll just feel like they don't fit. What I want to say to them is, you're the only one because we desperately needed you and we were begging God to send you to us to serve and edify in our body in a way that nobody else is. He says it on the opposite way this, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now this is something that happens in churches. People just kind of get to this mindset, I'm an evangelist. Why isn't everybody out sharing the gospel door to door just like me? What's wrong with these people? Don't they know people are dying and going to hell? And they just get frustrated and grumpy with people who maybe don't have the gift of evangelism. They have the gift of hospitality. And so maybe they're not great at preaching the gospel, but maybe they invite their unbelieving neighbor over for dinner. Do you see how all those different gifts work together in unison? It's really a beautiful picture of what God's trying to do. I think sometimes we build what I would call Picasso churches. Like one really big eyeball and a nose that's going the wrong direction and everything else is just out of proportion. That's what churches look like when we don't allow them to have variety in them. When everything's exactly the same and everyone has to be exactly the same. Another place this happens, I think, by the way, is in teaching. Uh, that, That some churches really value the teaching of the word. And I'd like to think that we're one of those churches. We really value the teaching of the word. But if we value the teaching of word above and beyond every other thing in the church, it's out of order. It's dysfunctional. We need to do something different. Now, you don't think that churches value the teaching of the word above everything else? Look at the way the church is organized. All your little chairs turned and pointed so your eyeballs can be on who? The guy that can teach. Who do you think came up with that? Some teacher somewhere came up with that idea. I'll tell you that right now. I was teaching. They weren't even paying attention. They were looking at each other of all things. It's kind of a strange thing, and we'll see this more clear in in 1 Corinthians 14, but church wasn't designed like this originally. When people gathered together, everybody brought something to the body. People didn't just sit and listen 
But some would prophesy and some would pray and some would sing. They would share, they would encourage, and it looked more like just kind of a home fellowship setting, like our life groups that we have going. Uh, you can even look at it another way. If you just look back in history to the time of Jesus, they were originally meeting in the synagogues. Well, the synagogues are arranged so strangely. They have rows of seats, but they're on the side and they're facing each other, not even facing me. What's wrong with that? You mean I have to look at the other people in this church? Yeah, because the other people in this church are important and valuable to the body of Christ. I tried to somehow make this happen in our church years ago. It was very unsuccessful, in case you're curious. I decided I was going to practice on Wednesday nights. Once a month, we did a potluck here at church. And so we had the potluck in the back, and I said, we're going to change this up. We're going to do the potluck in here. And so once a month on Wednesday night, I would take all these chairs out and I'd bring all of our tables in here and then I'd put chairs around all those tables and we would come in and we would get our food and we'd be sitting at the table and be laughing and joking, eating our food, having a good time. And then after a little bit of that, then I would stand up and I would pray and we'd have a little bit of worship. And then I would give like a very short teaching. I know, surprising, it was actually possible. I'd do like a 15 minute teaching. And then I would have discussion questions. They would be up on the slides and they would be down on the tables. And at your table, you would kind of discuss those things. You'd pray for one another. You'd be having a conversation and somebody would say, oh man, my car broke down. And somebody else would say, well, I know a mechanic or my husband's a mechanic. I can make him do anything. I'll just send him over to your house. He'll fix it. But it was just kind of this great open sharing thing. It just had this one thorn in the flesh. Children. <laughs> It was chaos in here. These kids running all over the place. But we didn't want to exclude the Sunday school teachers, so we canceled all the children. And we're just like, just watch your kids. Turns out parents don't really do that. Who knew? <laughs> They're like, look, I came to church so I could hand my kids over to somebody else for an hour and a half. I don't know what you're thinking. They're your problem once I walk through that door. That's what it turned into. Uh, but I still have this dream of someday, maybe when I'm old and retired, opening a church in a coffee shop. And just like going to some coffee shop in town and just saying, look, I just need your building for two hours on Sunday morning. You can have all the coffee profits. I'll take care of the other profits. You take care of the coffee profits. And we'll just have it set up like coffee shop and it'll just be more that interaction, that fellowship. But anyway, I digress. We need the other parts of the body because a body divided doesn't last very long. Cut me in half, I'm not going to make it, particularly if you go top to bottom. I'm just not going to make it. We need to be together. And that's the point that he was really trying to get to. That church there in Corinth was divided all the time. You think about this book so far. In chapter 1 through 4, they were divided over who their favorite pastor is. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Jesus Christ. They were fighting over who their pastor was. And then when you get into chapter 5, they're dealing with this idea of sin in the church. And they were divided what they should do with it. Some people said, get rid of the guy. Some people said, oh, it's just a little sin. It'll be fine. They're divided. They're fighting. In chapter 6, it says they actually had lawsuits among themselves in the church. And that's not even the craziest thing we're going to hear about in this church, right? Chapter 7, they're fighting over marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness. Chapter 8 through 10, they're fighting over whether or not you can eat meat sacrificed to idols or Christian liberties and how those all work out. Chapter 11, they were fighting over whether women should wear head coverings or not. And then at the end of that chapter, they were fighting over communion because people were getting drunk on the communion wine. Like you're giving away free wine, what did you think was going to happen? This church was divided over everything. And here again, spiritual gifts, they were finding reasons to divide not to unify under the central theme of God being the one who is over us. And I want to show you real quick something in verse 18 that's kind of a side note that I think is important. In verse 18 it says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. What's cool is it seems in verse 11 he said that the Holy Spirit did something similar. And I think that's important for us to remember that the scripture does teach that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit is the forgotten part of the Trinity. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and then we have God the Holy Bible. But people don't get as excited about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for us today. The Holy Spirit is operating and moving in the world today. He's the one that's empowering the church. It's a powerful moment for us to recognize that there. All right, but let's uh, get these last couple of verses here. In verse 27, it says, Now, you are Christ's body, 
and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. So Paul now is going to sum this section up, this first portion on teaching of spiritual gifts, by listing out again another list of gifts, some that are on both lists, some that are new to his list here. So he lists out you know, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, those who work miracles, those who do healings, those who help, those who administer, uh, those who have speak in tongues. Uh, he's going to talk down later about those who interpret tongues. But you see all of these different things on this list here. What's interesting, though... Number one is he orders the list here. He says it like this. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. So that's the first thing he does. He orders the list. And there's a lot of argument historically about what that order means. Uh, some people mean that's just the order in which they were revealed to the church. So the apostles started the first churches. It was first revealed through the apostles. And then prophets would speak in their midst. And then eventually, once we got the word of God, and that's what the prophets were, were inspired to write down the word of God for us, then we had teachers to just expound on the word. So that's how some people would look at that. Uh, I think he's actually ordering them in importance of what he wants to see in a church. That you, you need to have these ones in your church as the foundation, but you need them all. But if you're looking for a foundation, it would be these kind of first ones. Uh, that, that apostle is one who is sent out by Jesus Christ. The prophet is one who has a message from God. The teacher is the one that explains the message we already have from God, right? So those are kind of those foundational ministries. I'll explain that and when we get to verse 31, why I think that's an order of importance, not order of events. But something important happens. He says, all are not apostles. All are not prophets. All are not uh, miracle workers. All are not teachers. All do not have the gift of healing and this is the important one, all do not speak with tongues. And I want to bring this one out for just a very important reason. There are churches today who teach you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. You know what the problem with those churches are? They surround themselves with only tongue speakers and nobody's a teacher. Because the teacher would be able to point them to the clear instruction here in Scripture. That says, not all speak in tongues. It's an important distinction that each one of us has our own gifting that God gave us for his purposes to accomplish his will, to make his body, the church, work and function well. And I'm telling you, we need every bit of that in the church. Every one of you is important to the church. Each of you is gifted in some way to build up and edify the church. Now, again, in verse 31, he tells us to earnestly desire the greater gifts. And what I think he's saying there, he's saying earnestly desire these first three. First, the apostle, second, the prophet, third, the teacher. I think specifically because those are the most focused on giving the word out to people. Getting the word of God into people so they can be built up. I think that's the foundation that you need for a healthy church. But then all these other gifts come in and they do important and powerful things. To encourage and edify for the common good of the church. And let me just make it as clear as I can. We need you guys. We just need you guys. We need every one of you because God has gifted you to do something for the common good. There's this misconception that the number one spiritual gift in the church is pew warmer. What did you do at church today? My seat did not get away. I held it the whole time. Did my part today. I sat there the whole sermon. And that's hard because Pastor Sean goes long. And he thinks he's funny, but he's really not. 
It's difficult, right? That's not the case. Some of you guys are administrators at heart. Some of you guys just love people. Some of you guys pray. Some of you guys serve. Some of you guys and gals teach. I should see guys. And when I'm saying guys, I'm saying the universal guys, you people of the two genders. Anyway, don't get me on the wrong topic here. So the question that always comes up is how do you know what your gifts are? Now that's a tougher question, right? How do I know what my gifts are? If I'm supposed to be using them to serve the body of Christ, how do I know what they are? Well, let me give you just a couple of things that I've drawn from the scriptures and from experience over the years. The first one uh, is this. You first have to answer the question, have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and been baptized? That's the first thing, right? Because what did we learn right at the beginning? Nobody gets a spiritual gift unless Christ is their Lord. And what you can actually see in the New Testament is at the moment of baptism, in that moment, God chose to gift people. And so oftentimes at the moment of baptism, I would suggest that there might be some people who've been in the church for years, but they just never confessed Christ as Lord. And I'd even go a step further and say there are some who've confessed Christ as Lord, but they've refused to get baptism, a very simple step of obedience And so they're not really experiencing the church because they can't be obedient in this small thing. How can God trust them to be obedient in the good works he's prepared for them to walk in? It's just a lack of obedience there. The second thing is this. We see it with uh, Timothy. Um, He had the elders of the church pray. And it was in that time when the elders laid hands and prayed for him that it was revealed what his spiritual gift was. So in some way, in some focus. And it's not like the elders can just walk around and like, I give you the gift of healing, I give you the gift of mercy, and you're a prophet. It's not like that. But in that moment of prayer, God revealed it to those elders so that they could reveal it to Timothy. Why God chooses to do it that way, I think just because the elders are looking for something to do. It's true. Sunday mornings, we have our poor elders up here just waiting to pray with people. Just waiting. All these people here, and sometimes they don't get to pray with anyone. Just, just do them a favor. Surely you have something in your life you need prayed about. These guys, they just want to serve. They just want to serve the church. Just bring them something to pray about. Some of them bring their wives up with them so you don't even have to be scared of them. It's great. Um, here, here's a third way. Think of your life as a Christian and ask yourself this question. When did it become evident that I was benefiting or building up other people? Like, what was I doing in the moment when I started to see that I was actually helping other people and not just receiving myself? When you start to see those things, and there starts to be a pattern there. Like, it seems like every time I help somebody organize their house, they really get excited about that and built up. When, when I help them put it, maybe you have the gift of administration. Or, flip that on its head, ask other people who you know are godly people, believers in Jesus Christ. Just say, look, you've seen me around the church for the last decade. What do you think I offer to this place that builds up other Christians? You'll start to see patterns. People start to recognize the same things in you. It's just one more way it can be revealed to you. It becomes evident. It becomes, as he says in verse 7, it becomes manifest in you. It becomes visible to others. Another thing you can do, uh, try different things. You want to see if you have the gift of teaching? Volunteer for Sunday school. You'll know real quick. it become obvious. You think you might have the gift of administration? Go to the church office and say, can I help organize the offices? There's some task. And if after like three days they say, you've done enough, you can leave now. You probably don't have the gift of administration. You probably brought the gift of confusion in, and they don't need you for that. So you just keep, just keep, try out different things. You'll find something that you're gifted in that you can do to build up and edify the body of Christ. And here's my last one, and I'm going to use an illustration Uh, This, to me, I think is probably the easiest one, most helpful. Uh, That's this. So I want you to imagine a scenario. Every Sunday morning, we're doing communion, right? 
And then I don't know if you guys know this, but after you take communion, while you're praying, the deacons sneak in and they grab the communion tray with the fresh communion and they walk out with it so they can prepare it for the following service because we have the three services on Sunday, right? So well, imagine Sunday morning, one of those deacons picks up one of those trays and as he's walking out, he trips and makes a mess all over the place. How you react to that might just begin to reveal what your spiritual gift is. For some people, they'll see that happen and they'll be right there on the spot, blotting it with their own coat, cleaning up the mess, picking up the things, throwing them in the trash, just boom. They just have the gift of service. Somebody else is going to put their arm around that poor, poor deacon and say, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody spills sometimes. Usually not at your age, but everybody... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They have the gift of mercy. They're caring about that person. It was just, that's what just came out. That was what was made manifest in them. Somebody else is going to stand up and say, I need three towels. I need a trash can. You over there. I see you. Come on. I need you right now. I need you to go take this and carry it back there and refill those trays. We got more people coming. Gift of leadership, right? Somebody else is going to say, I believe the Lord is telling me that Satan wants to distract our service today. Gift of discernment. (laughs) Meanwhile, Pastor Sean's going to be just trying to talk over all the noise. (laughs) Gift of teaching. (laughs) No, really, if you guys would just pay attention to me here, I know there's just ignore the distraction over here. I've got some things that the Word has said to us. It starts to become evident when you start to see how you respond to these circumstances. It's the thing that becomes revealed when you're around other believers. And again, in that circumstance, I don't want the person who's cleaning up the mess to be mad at everybody else because they're not cleaning up the mess. They've got you for that. (laughs) Well, it's not fair. Why do I have to clean up all the messes? Well, did you want to teach this morning? Not really. Okay, then. Just to recognize, don't divide over. I've actually seen people in our church leave the church because they said they were the only ones serving. I do everything around here. Really? You disappeared, everything kept going. You're just mad because they don't do the things you do in the way that you do them. There's a variety of gifts within the body of Christ. People serve in different ways. The important part for you guys is to figure out how God has gifted you to minister to all these other people here. He's done it. He's gifted you in some way. And we desperately need you to walk in that gifting. Amen? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I'm I'm always thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, I want to pray as we go through these passages that you would reveal yourself to people. Number one, uh, if there are people who have... Uh, not ever confessed you as Lord, uh, that this would be a day where that seed would be planted in their heart, maybe watered, uh, maybe it would be a day where it would be harvested. Uh, But they would just say, I want to be part of the body of Christ. I want to surrender my life to him. Uh, Father, I would also pray uh, for those who uh, maybe haven't taken just those simple steps of obedience and can't understand why you don't trust them in other areas. They would respond in obedience, whether it's baptism or something else you've already called them to be doing. They've just been afraid to or unwilling. But Lord, I would pray for all of us that we would love you so much that we would recognize that we can best worship you and serve you when we serve other people, when we care for the needs of other people, when we use the gifts you've given us to build up others. And Lord, what a joy when other people build us up in return. Father, we thank you so much for your word today and pray that it would encourage us going forward and bring us to a place of just being a healthy church, filled and moved and gifted by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.